0: This is the University's Seventh-day Adventist Church in this sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our feature sermon. Good afternoon, church. Now I want you to do something for me, okay? I want you to do this. When I do it, I want you to just... Can you do that? Just smile. <laughs> Give me a, a great big smile. I'd worship God under a tree if I had to. So, so this, this, is, this is wonderful. You know, what God did for us, the suffering and the pain that he went through for me, I'd sit out there under that tree. And I'd worship him all by myself. I don't need a building. I don't need an AC. God has been too good to me. You know, so just, just smile. We should be some of the most happiest people in the world. You know, so, so lighten up. or You know, just, just, just give me a smile. Because God loves you. And he proved it. Paul says that while we were yet sinners, when we were at our worst, when there was nothing good about you, Christ died to save me. Now, now, in certain places, when, when, I, when you say that, everybody would have started shouting and jumping up and down and running, you know. But I know who, I know we're, we're you know, we're, we're reserved. We're, we're, we have to be a little, but uh, if that doesn't get you excited, That the fact that while you were were yet in your worst condition, not while you were something good, while you were in your worst condition, Christ died for you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It's good to be here. Now, what time do you all normally get out of church? I know you're all looking to get out in five minutes because it's hot, right? But uh, I'm not going to keep you long, but I I come to do what God told me to do. And... uh, We'll, we'll see what God says. Is that all right? It's the Sabbath day. So where are we going, right? We've come to worship, so let's worship him today. It's always good to be here at university. As um, Soon as I walked in the building, uh, the deacon greeted me with a great big smile. And, 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 and as he led me through the process of meeting people, everybody was just so kind to me. And, and that's how God's people should be, isn't that right? We should be some of the kindest people in the world. And, and Jesus says, this is how they know you are my disciples. Not because you, you dress a certain way or you eat a certain way. They know you're mine because you have love, one for another. And I, I felt the love as soon as I opened that door. It just kind of like just It just you know, and I've always told uh, Elder Edwards that if I didn't live way in Apopka, if I lived out here, University would be my church home. I love I love being here. All right, let's get let's let me let me get going. Uh, I want to thank Elder William um, for his gracious, just being such a gracious host. I mean, you know, it, it's good when you can find a man or find men who are godly men. That's, that's rare. And uh, I just want to thank Elder William for being a godly man. The message today was born out of personal experience, so I hope today that it will bring you as much comfort as it has brought me. Let's pray. Father, I'm nothing without you. I can't live without you. I can't breathe without you. And I certainly can't stand here and speak without you. So here I am. I give you my all. I give you my my mind. I give you my, my body. I give you my soul. And I ask that you take full control. And as I stand in this place today, may not I, but Christ, Be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ, be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ, in every look and action. Not I, but Christ, in every thought and word. I pray this in the name of Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let the people of God say, amen. A young lady who had just been baptized, a little bit over a year, walked into the pastor's study and she said to him, when I joined the church, I thought my life was going to be so much better. She said, but the truth of the matter is, my life is worse worse now than it was before I joined the church. She said, I have lost my job and I can't pay my bills. My home is a cesspool. She says, and I've taken a test a few weeks ago, and I'm afraid what they're going to find out. She continued to say, I had, I had no expectation. This is not what I expected when I surrendered my life to Christ. And then she asked, The unpardonable question, why does such a loving God allow so many bad things to happen to his children? Ah, yes. The question that we've all asked or pondered at some time in our lives. God has a plan for your life. So why is it filled with so many disappointments and so many many failures and so so many challenging times? Today I want to take you on a journey and show you exactly what God's plan is for your life, even in the midst of challenging times. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, I want to share something with you. Satan desires to have you. He wants you bad. And the reason he wants you is he wants to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you, that your faith remain. Now, now, if, if I was Peter, this would have been my reaction to that statement, Lord, I respect your, you know, your, what you're saying, and, I, and, 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 and do all, with all due respect, I know that you are the great intercessor. But instead of praying for me, Lord, can you just kind of stop this from happening? Can you just take this away? Can you just not allow this sifting to be a part of my life? We don't like hard times. We don't like suffering. We want to join the church, but we want everything to be smooth sailing. And so what Jesus is saying to Peter here is, is that Satan desires to have you so he can sift you like wheat. And here's here's the kicker. I'm not going to stop him from doing it. Now here's where we have a problem with this church thing or with God. We know that God isn't the one who's causing it to happen, but we say he sure could stop it from happening. So why doesn't God stop Satan from bringing disappointing times in my life? Well, here's why. Satan makes the accusation to God, the only reason they're serving you is because of what you do for them. That's the accusation. The only reason they're serving you is because of what you can do for them. And so he puts the challenge out there. If you give me Peter, just just let me have him. Just let me have him. Let me have him. And let me sift him like wheat. I guarantee, I guarantee he will leave you. And so God accepts the challenge. Because if God was to say, you know what? You can't touch Peter. I'm not going to let you sift him. Then Satan was to say, see, I told you. I told you. The only reason they serve you is because you don't let him. You, you, take, him, you take up for him. You do everything for them. So God has to allow us to go through, Peter, to go through the sifting. Are you all following me? And so Jesus says to Peter, look, Satan is going to sift you, but I'm not going to stop it. But what I am going to do is I'm going to pray for you. Now, in order to understand what it is that Satan wants to do in terms of sifting, you've got to understand what happens in the wheat harvesting process. Sifting was not a gentle operation. There was a process that had to happen with the wheat in order for it to be of good use. The first thing that had to happen was it had to be threshed which means it had to be beaten or stomped. When it was a small amount of wheat, they would take the wheat, and they would put it on a, on a, on a piece of uh, a rock, and they would beat it with sticks. Now, they had to do this because that was the only way to separate the wheat kernel from the outer shell. They had to beat it. And this was a long, hard process, just beating, beating, beating the wheat to extract that kernel, that wheat kernel, from its outer shell. But when it was a large harvest, they would take it to a threshing floor, a solid ground. And they would put it on the ground. And then they would bring animals in, like like cows and donkeys. and, 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 And they would allow those animals to just walk up and down, stomping all day on that wheat. Now, this had to be done because they were trying to extract, separate the wheat kernel from inside its outer shell, so all day they would beat and beat and the animals would stomp and stomp, separating the wheat kernel from its outer shell. That was the only way it could be done. There was no other way. After it had been threshed, the second process was now you had the wheat, this great big pile of wheat and husk. So now you had to separate the wheat from the husk. And and what the farmer would have to do then was he would have to wind the harvest. It's called winnowing, where he would get a winnowing fan or a pitchfork, and he would come out usually in the afternoon when the wind picked up uh, in, in biblical days, and he would stick that pitchfork into that pile, and he would thrust it up into the air, and the wind would catch anything that was light like the husk and the chaff, and it would blow it away, but the wheat, which was stronger, would fall back to the ground. He would thrust in the winnow fork again and thrust it up into the air, and the light husk would be blown off, and the wheat would fall back to the ground. This was a process that was necessary because he had to separate the wheat from the husk and the chaff. And and this happened all day long until all of the chaff, all of the husk had been blown off and nothing remained but the wheat on the ground. But it still wasn't ready for good use because now you had the wheat on the ground and on the ground was rocks and also grit and dirt and sand. So now you had to separate the wheat from the grit, the dirt, little small particles. So now the third process would happen where someone would come with a, 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 a sift and they would gather up the wheat along with the rocks and the small particles and the grit and they would cover it with a, a mesh and they would begin to violently shake the wheat and the small grit and particles would come out of little small holes. But the only thing that would remain was the wheat inside the sieve. And so now the sift was ready for good use. As Jesus talks to Peter, this is the analogy that he shares with Peter of what Satan wants to do to him. But not just him, this is what Satan also wants to do with each one of us. He wants to sift us like wheat. Somebody here today, you may be on the threshing floor of life. There may be some stuff going on in your life to where Satan has you on the threshing floor and he's just beating you and beating you and beating you. And every time you try to get up, he stomps on you. Somebody here today, you're going through a season of harvest. And Satan has thrust you up into the air. And there's so much stuff going on in your life. It's like a storm. Wind is blowing. And you're trying to hold on to Jesus. But the wind is blowing in your life. And you're being tossed to and fro. Somebody here today. Satan has turned your life upside down. Problems in your home, problems on your job, sickness, problems with your children, and you don't understand what's going on, but you're being shaken. Even the very foundation of your faith, you pray and you pray and you pray, but God doesn't answer, and you've come to the conclusion that God doesn't care and you don't know what's going on in your life, I'll tell you what's going on, you're being sifted. You're being sifted. So how does a Christian be sifted? God allows sifting in our life through the painful process which every child of God has or will face trials that results in being broken and refined, strengthened and restored, grown and empowered for god's glory and kingdom expansions i know we don't like it i know we don't want to hear it but god uses trials to sift us now let's go back to the wheat while the sifting of the wheat was harsh it was necessary do you all hear me the sifting of the wheat was necessary because without without the beating and the stomping, the wheat kernel would have never been pulled out of its shell. Without the winnowing where it was thrown up into the air and the wind blew, without that, the wheat would have never been separated from the chaff which is no good. And without the sifting where it was shaken up and down, The wheat would have never been removed from the dirt and the grit and the small particles. The sifting process, as hard as it was, it was necessary. Because without the sifting, the wheat would be of no good use. And so it is when God allows trials in our life. They are necessary because God has a purpose and a plan for us. Now as it hard as it is to, to understand that or to, to, to take hold of that, it's hard to understand how a loving God can allow his children to be sifted. So what does sifting do in the life of a Christian? There's two things and it's in this verse here. Simon, Simon. Satan has desire to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, that's the first thing sifting does. Sifting brings about conversion. Conversion is just another word for character development. Now I know a lot of times we 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 thought we thought that when we joined the church we were converted. We were we. Um, I've arrived. I'm here. I'm here, everybody. It's me. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. But Jesus says, slow your roll, Pete. Tonight, you will deny me three times. Tonight, you've got to be sifted. And when we come to church, when we join church, when we when we give our life to Christ, we 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 we, we think we're ready. I'll follow you anywhere. But God says, not 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 too fast, not so fast. You got to be sifted. There are some things that God has to bring out of us. When I joined the church, I, I, came from a, I came from a lifestyle of the streets. And when I joined the church, although I went down in the watery grave of baptism, that street life mentality I brought with me. And God says, look, now that you're here, the most important thing that I have to do now with you is to transform you into the image of my son. You know, that's the, that's the number one plan of God when we, come to, when we, when we accept him, is to transfer the, transform these characters into the image of his son. Look what it says here. Romans 8, verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's all about Jesus. He, he is the, the mark when it comes to character. He is the standard that we're trying to hit when it comes to character. And, and when we come to church, we bring a lot of stuff with us. And God says, you know, I'm glad you're here, but, but, but I got I to gotta allow you to be sifted. And so we come, we come with, with self-confidence. It's all about me. I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. And God says, no, you can't do anything without me. And that's what Peter's problem was. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to jail for you. I'm ready to die for you. And God says, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're too self-confident. I need to, you need to be sifted. Some of us, when we come to church, we come with a whole lot of pride. How in the world are they going to have me to be just an elder? I should be head elder. The nerve they didn't ask me to be the head elder. I'm not going to do nothing. God says you need to be sifted. I got I to gotta, I gotta allow, allow the wind to blow on you a little bit to remove some of that, that stuff out of your life. I got to allow you to be beaten and beaten because I'm trying to pull something out of you. I got to allow you to be shaken. I've got to allow you to be sifted. Sometimes when we we come to church, we come come with a whole lot of ambition. And ambition is good. Amen? But when it comes to God's church, (laughs) you know, and one of the problems that they're having was was, was the disciples was, they were trying to decide right before the crucifixion who's going to be sitting where? I'm going to be on this. No, no, no. going to be there. And they were they were fighting among themselves and God says, you know what? Tonight, you need to be, you all have to be sifted. There's some stuff that you came with, that you came with Peter that I got to pull out of you. There's some stuff that I got that I got that I got that I got to separate from you. And so in the midst of our trials, those dark days, those dark times, God is allowing us to be sifted because he's drawing, he's shaping, he's pulling, he's, he's, he's tugging, he's pulling some stuff out. He's allowing some stuff to be blown away. He's allowing some stuff to be shaken. And we look at it as if, oh me, oh my, God doesn't forgot about me. But that is not the case. God is working it out for your good. He's preparing you for good use. And so if you read this story, and, and you know the story of Peter, the night Jesus was arrested, uh, he, 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 he ran off into the woods, and, and he ran up with some people, and, and this lady says, I know you. I know you. You're one of his disciples. Peter said, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you, you got me mixed up with somebody else. I, I don't know this man. And the devil started beating him on the threshing floor. A little while later, another man saw him and said, you are one of his disciples. I remember you. Thought you were so high and mighty when you were with Jesus. You're one of them. Peter said, man, you're crazy. You don't don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know that man. And all of a sudden, the wind started blowing. He was being winnowed. Then about an hour later, another man saw him and said, I don't care what you say, you you are one of his followers. Peter said, no, man, you, you got me mixed up with somebody else. And all of a sudden, Satan began to shake him. And the Bible says that after those three denials, he ran out and did what? He wept bitterly sifted finally he is ready for good use he has been sifted so now God can use him now you see what Satan does for evil God brings about good where Satan made the accusation if I sift Peter I guarantee he'll leave you and so in the midst of Satan sifting God was shaping God was shaping that character. And while we look at our trials and our difficult times as being a a period of, of, of sorrow, God is shaping you and your character. He's working on you, in you, through you. So the first thing that sifting does is that it allows God to transform our characters. The second thing sifting does, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The second thing sifting does, it allows us to help somebody else. There was a lady who had lost a child. She was heartbroken. I can't can't imagine what it's like to lose a child. And people would go to her, and they would offer comfort to her. and, And instead of her getting better, it seemed like she was sinking deep into depression. But one day, a young lady walked up to the door, and knocked on the door, and asked to speak to the lady. And she went in, and she said to the woman, Five years ago, I lost my baby girl. And this is the pain that I experienced. And the woman said, yes, this is exactly what I'm going through. The young lady said, and, 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 and these are the times, what I was, things I was experiencing. The lady said, yes, somebody knows. Somebody knows. And the young lady said, and this is what God did to get me through it. And she shared with the woman how God brought her through. And the woman, instead of sinking more into depression, she began to come out. Why? Because somebody had already been sifted. And now God was using that experience for her to help somebody else. Listen, l- l- listen to this. This is, this is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. You want to know why God's got you going through that difficult time? So that when he pulls you out, there's going to be somebody that you can share your experience with and help pull them out. I'm working with a group called Operation Reach Back. It's, it's a program for young, young teenage, young, young males. And most of these boys grew up without a father. I grew up without a father. I know what it's like to not have a father. I know what that, where that would lead you. So how can I not be a part of that organization? God saved me in spite of that. And so now, I'm using my experience to share with these young boys. And that's what God is doing when he allows us to be sifted. Satan means it for evil, but God is ta- using it for good. God is saying, look, when you, when, when, when you are converted, when I, when I transform your character, then I want you to go and help somebody else. And that's why God will not take away Your trials. That's why God will allow you to continue to go through your trials. Because God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life. So how should I respond? When I'm facing financial crises, how should I respond? When 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 I've lost a loved one, how should I respond? When 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 I've lost my job and I can't pay my bills, how should I respond? When when when, when I'm going through this this dark, dreary period in my life, well, you can you can either curse God and die. That's what the wife told Job, right? Just just curse God and die, or You can do what Horatio Spafford did. He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer who had a thriving practice. He had a wife named Anna, and he had four daughters and one young son. In about 1870, his youngest son died. A year later, every real estate investment that they had was destroyed in the Chicago fire. Two years later. He sent the family, the wife and the four girls, on a trip to get away from all of the tragedy that they had been experiencing. He put them on a boat and he said, look, you all go head on. I've got to tie up some loose ends here. I'll follow. And so the wife, Anna, and his four daughters, they got on the boat and they went off. Word came back from his wife. There was a tragic collision with the ship. And I'm the only one that survived. His four daughters was lost. With his son dying, Satan was threshing him. When he lost all of his real estate, Satan had the wind blowing in his life, and now his, his four daughters, his four daughters, drowned. Satan is shaking him. He's shaking his foundation. And so he got on a boat, and he was going to travel to meet his grieving wife. And when he got to the certain point, the the captain said, Mr. Spafford, this is the place. This is the place where the ship went down and your four daughters were lost. And this is what Mr. Spafford said. His heart broken, he penned these words, oh, peace like a river attendeth my way. Like sorrows, like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It's well. It's well with my soul. This man had been threshed. This man had been winded. This man had been shaken. He had been sifted. But use that sifting experience to write a song that so many of us have used in our time of dark and dreary nights. And we sang it today. When you are converted, when you are sifted, use the experience to help somebody else. And instead of him cursing God, and and there are some, you know, I mean, for what he went through, his son, his real estate, his four daughters, man. But he chose to write a hymn that has encouraged so many of us today. There was another stanza that he wrote that's not in the hymnal, and I want to read it to you. And it goes like this. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. God never asks us to do or go through anything without he has not done himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was sifted. If you want to, to, to get an idea of what it was like, read the Desire of Ages. Great drops of blood, sweat like blood, she says. And he cried out, Father, if it's possible, you know, I don't, I don't, want, to, I, I, I don't want to do it. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But like the wheat that needed to be sifted, he realized, not my will. Thy will be done. Because if, I'm not, if I don't be sifted today, then so many people are going to be lost. And so he allowed God to sift him, and he went on to the cross. So I was going through some difficult times, and I asked the unpardonable Sin, the thou shalt not question, you know, the question that, that, that we think is a sin to ask. Lord, why? 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 Heavenly Father, as a child, I'm asking you why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? And God gave me this answer. I'm shaping your character, Joe. I'm, I'm trying to prepare you for good use. And just like the sifting of the wheat, as harsh as it is, Joe, the trials are necessary because I'm preparing you for good use. And so here I am, like Horatio Spafford, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it's well, it's well with my soul.